you're probably familiar with the phrase, we've always done it that way. Dad always drives on road trips. We've always done it that way. We have to have Thanksgiving at her house. We've always done it that way. We need a real Christmas tree. We've always done it that way. We should get our child baptized. We've always done it that way. We've always done it that way is not a bad reason to do things, but there are some things where you should probably stop and think a little deeper about why you do things the way you've always done them. Like Emily said earlier in this series, we are intentionally asking questions about why we do the things we do when we gather to worship and what difference they should make in our lives. And we defined worship this way, that worship is what happens when Christ followers intentionally practice their faith in such a way that we are drawn into God's purposes for our lives and for the world. So we're looking at why we sing, why we preach, why we pray, why we baptize, and how those things should pull us into the difference Jesus wants to make in our lives, in the world, how those things make us into kingdom citizens who live with a kingdom identity wherever we find ourselves, not just gathered for worship, but out in the world. And this morning, we're going to talk about baptism. Now, we did have a baptism lined up, and last night it got canceled for health reasons, and so unfortunately, we will not have a baptism to sort of uh, accentuate uh, this sermon. But We're excited to talk about this practice with you, nonetheless. Before we can talk about why we baptize, I want to name what baptism is. And to start, I'm going to say baptism is for identification. Baptism is for identification. Now, I know that we have people with all kinds of experiences and backgrounds and even opinions on baptism here this morning. We have people who cherish their baptism. They remember their baptism or their kids' baptism or their grandkids' baptism. We have people who were baptized as infants and they obviously do not remember their baptisms and they sometimes think, I don't know why that mattered. We have people who were baptized as adults or teenagers and we have people who were not baptized, have not been baptized at all in this room here with us this morning. So all kinds of perspectives and opinions and experiences with baptisms, and I will not be able to say everything. Surely there's going to be a question you have that I don't get around to answering this morning, but I at least want to start by naming what our denomination, ECO and CPC, believe about baptism. So here is the official statement. Baptism is a sign and seal of the covenant of grace a mark of entrance into the visible church, and it is the Holy Spirit who makes this sacrament efficacious, makes it meaningful and powerful in God's time to those whom God has called. So two things I want to point out about that statement. The first is it's about marking us or identifying us with something. And the second one is it's about something God is doing or God can do. And to start here is a helpful way of reminding us that for CPC, baptism is different 
has a different meaning than for some of the, of the other churches around us, including churches that you may have been a part of, churches that you may have family and friends at. For CPC, our theology of baptism is what is called sacramental. You saw the word sacrament in that description. Sacramental. Sacramental is a very churchy word that means God's grace meets us there. God's grace meets us in the practice. There's a wonderful little book called It Takes a Church to Baptize by Scott McKnight. And in that book, he says this, Baptism is a physical act in water in which God mediates multiple blessings of grace to the one being baptized. He's saying that baptism connects us to the grace of God. So CPC's baptism theology is what's known as sacramental. There are other churches, you think about Baptist churches, non-denominational churches, Pentecostal churches. And again, I'm just naming the theology. I'm not judging or trying to call anyone out, but their theology is what's known as non-sacramental or memorial. And for them, baptism is primarily about a person saying, I have made a public proclamation, profession of faith in Jesus, and baptism is the act which memorializes that public proclamation. It's non-sacramental. It's about what I've decided to do. That is not true at CPC. It's not true about infants or teenagers or adults who are baptized. A sacramental theology of baptism means that baptism is about us declaring what God has done in Jesus Christ and what that will mean for our lives. And so do you see two different thoughts of baptism? So regardless of when you get baptized, when you're baptized at CPC, we believe that baptism identifies us with something God is doing and has done and will do. So with that in mind, why do we baptize and what difference should it make in our lives when we gather for worship? In baptism, we cling to the promise that God is clinging to us. If you hear nothing else this morning, we cling to the promise that God is clinging to us, that he was already there. When we experience baptisms in church, when we have baptisms, like we did not have this morning, but when we have baptisms, <laughs> the intention is not just for that family and for that child or that adult. The intention is that it's for all of us, that we all actually need to come back to baptism. Because we all walk in here carrying the weight of our weeks. We all walk in here a little bit beat up, by what we've experienced in the world. Perhaps your faith has been beat up. Perhaps you have struggled to follow Jesus. Maybe you've doubted. Maybe you've just forgotten about your faith at times. Maybe you have been disobedient. All of us have moments where it's hard to follow Jesus and we start to lose touch with our faith. And what we need to be reminded is that though we might have a weak grip, God does not. And then if we've wandered away from Jesus, Jesus has not wandered away from us. So we come back to baptism and worship time and time again to remind ourselves that God's grip is stronger than ours. So the rest of this time, I just want to walk through a bunch of Bible verses that will show you, I think, 
that in the Bible, baptism is primarily about identifying us with what God is doing. So we're going to go through a lot of verses, I would say, buckle up. So the first book of the Bible is Genesis, and there God shows up to a man we know as Abraham and tells him that he wants to make a difference in his life, but that it will mean that Abraham has to cling to God's promises. And he gives Abraham a practice to identify him, to remind him of the promises of God. So he comes to him, and this is in Genesis 17, verse 10. God says to Abraham, This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. So it's for your whole family. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And then he goes on a little later and he says, Every male throughout your generations shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. So I'm not going to get into circumcision right now, but I just want to let you see this was an identity marker. You might even call it an initiation ritual. And some of you have been a part of organizations or societies or clubs in your life that had initiation rituals or identity markers. Now, circumcision was a little more intense and involved than a secret handshake. But the point is, you get marked for belonging, and then you get included in the benefits of belonging. And in this story about Abraham, they get marked with the identifying marks of belonging to God's family, and they get included in the benefits of belonging to God and being identified with his family. So in Scripture, circumcision is the precursor to the practice of baptism. And the first place we see baptism showing up is actually in the Gospels with a guy we call John the Baptist. And so we're going to go to Matthew chapter 3. And in Matthew 3... It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then it says, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So some of you have probably already washed your hands multiple times today. You may have even taken a bath or a shower. And because in the modern world, we clean ourselves pretty much every day and on a regular basis. But in the ancient world, cleaning and bathing was a very infrequent practice. In fact, for some people, the only time they ever really cleaned was when they were preparing for a religious ritual. And so for John the Baptist, baptism was like a ceremonial washing, a ceremonial cleansing. So a very quick history lesson tying in the first passage we read to this one. Abraham's descendants became known as the Israelites. God had chosen the Israelites and he promised them a land that we call the promised land. To enter the promised land, the very first time they had to cross a river that's known as the Jordan. They crossed the Jordan River, they went into the promised land. In the hundreds of years between crossing the Jordan and Jesus showing up, let's just say they had not been very obedient to the promises of God. 
and their grip on God's promises had become very weak. So the passage says they went to John to be baptized, confessing their sins. So John takes them back to the Jordan River so that they come out of the Jordan River again and they're reminded that though they have a weak grip, God does not. The ceremonial washing in the Jordan identifies them with a fresh start, with a new chance at a life with God. But it's important to note that the baptism doesn't automatically give them a new life. It just identifies them with the truth that God is clinging to them and they have a fresh start. And this becomes immediately clear because the next thing that happens is Jesus is baptized. And Jesus isn't baptized because he needs a new life. I think we all agree that Jesus didn't need a new, didn't need a new life. Jesus is baptized because he wants to identify with God's work in the world and God's work in his own life to claim that he is identified with God. So how does this practice get from something that John the Baptist and Jesus are doing in the front part of Jesus' ministry to something the entire church is then doing after the death and resurrection of Jesus? So if you go to Matthew 28, the end of the book of Matthew, there's a passage we call the Great Commission. This is Jesus sending his disciples out into the world. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Have you ever gone somewhere that requires a mark of admission? A hospital, a theme park, a Chuck E. Cheese? How do you know that you're allowed in? You have a mark that identifies you as belonging there. So as the church started to grow, as the kingdom of God started to spread across the known world, people wanted to know, how do I know? How do I know that I'm in? How do I know that I really belong? So Jesus tells them, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Identify them with the God who loves them and has saved them. Identify them. And the point is not that someone's going around checking to see, like, do you have the mark? Do you belong? The point is that you know your belonging is guaranteed and secured by something more powerful and more true than anything else you can imagine. So the disciples, they take this command of Jesus and they go out into the world and they practice it. And they start to baptize people. And so we have a story in Acts 16 I want to pick up on just a few lines of. But a few of the early Christians end up in jail. And these guys, Paul and Silas, they end up in jail for sharing their faith. And through this crazy series of events, the jailer, the Roman jailer who has them in prison, ends up coming to want to follow Jesus. So then listen to what happens after he wants to follow Jesus. It says, And they, Paul and Silas, spoke the word of the Lord to him, to the jailer, and to all who were in his house, the jailer's house. And he took them, the jailer took them, the same hour of the night, and washed their wounds, because they were prisoners who had wounds. 
the same hour of the night, and he was baptized at once. The jailer was baptized at once. He and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. He was baptized at once. He and his whole family. This happens several times in the book of Acts. It does not indicate that the whole family decided to follow Jesus. It just says the one person believed and the whole family was baptized. Which is weird to us. We don't often think about baptism that way. But there's a simple explanation for why. In the ancient world, faith or religion was household-based. So if an adult, particularly if the male of the house, decided this is what we believe now, everybody else just got brought into it, got pulled along. You know this because you all have family or parents who get really into something and then all of a sudden you get drug along too, right? So they got included because the parent identified with that faith. And what we see is that God desires to use families to bring children up into a relationship with Jesus. The same way he desires to use the family of God, the church, to bring people up into the faith. This is why we baptize infants. This is why we baptize infants on behalf of the parents' faith, to identify them as belonging to the people that the parents belong to. We mark them to claim that their salvation rests in God's hands, but also to commit that the parents and us as the church will go to great lengths to make sure those children get the invitation to Jesus, to make sure they are invited to know Jesus for themselves. That's why the church over the centuries has developed a practice known as confirmation. So that the children who are baptized can be taught and raised up into the faith. We call it commitment class and we practice it in the ninth grade. But I want to make one thing incredibly clear this morning. And, and, and I really do want to be clear about it because I think it becomes a sticking point for a lot of families who, who grow up in churches like CPC. If you're baptized as an infant and you go through confirmation and at the end of confirmation you say, yes, this is my faith. That is every bit as real of a choosing of Jesus as a teenager who didn't grow up in a sacramental tradition and was baptized as a teenager when they chose their faith later in life. So parents, grandparents, don't let anybody... Any religious leader, pastor, or other person tell you that your baptism or your kid's baptism isn't as powerful or effective or meaningful because they were baptized as infants. Because whether you're baptized as an infant or an adult or a senior adult, your baptism is real and meaningful because of nothing you've done but because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the church makes this clear. So in the book of Colossians, in the letter of Colossians, here's what the early Christians say about baptism. Colossians 2.11. It says, In him 
also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So back to the circumcision thing. By putting off the body of the flesh, the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Christ. So we've been saying that baptism is about identification. But more particularly, we're talking about identification with the death and resurrection of Jesus. So to identify with Christ in baptism is to proclaim that he has the power to bury your sins and to raise you to new life. To get baptized means that we are identified with the one who rose from the dead and conquered death so that we get the benefits of his death and resurrection. That his grace and his forgiveness would be every bit as real to us as the water. That when the water fades and dries, the grace sticks. The power in baptism is not from the water. The power in baptism is from the death and resurrection of Jesus. So again, no matter when you were baptized, as an infant, a teenager, an adult, a senior adult, your baptism is real and powerful and effective only because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So, in the future... When you're sitting in church and there's a baptism going on, don't just watch and think the baby's cute, though they probably are. I'm sorry, though they are. You're participating in a baptism and you're reminding yourselves. I want to be crystal clear. What we're doing is reminding ourselves that in baptism, we cling to the promise that God is clinging to us. And if that's true, when you get up out of this room and you walk out into the world, wherever you go, that means that God is clinging to you. One theologian said, baptism both makes and signifies a social reality, which is why it is situated in the context of gathered worship. While perhaps only one person is being baptized, all of us participate. The ritual should call to mind our own baptism, reminding us that we are citizens of another city. When you walk out of this room, we are citizens of another city. We are marked not just with water, but with our identity as citizens of God's kingdom. So that when the world comes at us, you, walk, you walked in here carrying the weight of the past week. You'll walk out and the world will come at you fast. So when the world comes at us, we know who we are. We have the right identity. A couple of weeks ago, I was, um, I was playing golf. And, and I know I used a golf story last week, so just cut me some slack. You can see what I've been doing all fall. I was playing golf with a church member. 
and I asked him if I could tell this story. And I said, I won't use your name. And he said, I would be honored if you use my name. So Justin Kalberg, who often plays bass in our band, and I were playing golf, and we accidentally hit into the group in front of us. If you don't play golf, what that means is there were guys still on the course. We hit and accidentally almost hit them. This understandably did not make them happy. And they got in their carts and they came flying back towards us, waving clubs and yelling things that you should never yell at a pastor. (laughs) And I had this moment of panic rise up in me. Or I thought, am I about to get in a fight on a golf course? And there were just two of us and there were four of them. But really, what identity was going to rise up in me? A pastor in the community? Or, or a guy about to throw down on the golf course? <laughs> and if you know Justin, I thought, if I've ever played golf with somebody who will want to throw down on the golf course, it's Justin. <laughs> Thankfully, he was cool, calm, and collected. We apologized. Everybody went on their way. Life comes at us fast. Our, our situation, our life, what we experience, it's, it switches on a dime and all of a sudden we're in situations where we're just responding to the onslaught of life. It's hard and it's challenging and it's not what we expected. Are we identified by the right things in those moments? How we respond to the unpredictability of life says a ton about who we are and what we're clinging to and what's clinging to us. And so our hope is that when you leave worship every single week, that you're reminded that whatever you face in the world, that whatever comes your way, that God's grip is strong enough for anything you'll face. This week, I just want you to do one simple thing. Every time you wash your hands, every time you cook and you run your hands through water, every time your hands run through water this week, let it be a reminder of your baptism. Let it be a reminder of your identity that everywhere you go, that God's imprint is on your life, that you take with you the God who is clinging to you, that has you in his grip, that you are marked every single day, not by water, but by the grace of the one who has called you to new life, that you are identified with the God that has done great things for you and desires to draw you into his mission in the world that your life would not be the same, but that it would get up and that baptism would get up and it would walk out into the world and that you would be marked as the people who have received God's grace.